Hey everyone, Jay Baron here. We are presenting tonight's episode with our friend Camille to you despite its audio issues because it's such a good episode, we just think you have to hear it. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't multi-track and ended up using Ted's Zoom recording backup as our master track. So, it's a little rough, but we do believe you'll enjoy it. It's one of our favorites. Also, I'm here to tell you that Treckle is available for all of your artist material needs. T-R-E-K-E-L-L dot com. You can get paintbrushes. You can get canvas. You can get little shapes to paint on that aren't canvas. All kinds of stuff. Check them out. T-R-E-K-E-L-L dot com. Treckle. And enjoy tonight's episode. Thanks. Suggested Donation. Uh, he's so she's, cute she's the sweetest puppy it's like my salvation right now that's going to be Wait. like no painting happening oh, for quite a while i haven't been painting anyways so <laughs> whatever just one more distraction for me so i know yeah. but I, I you know i have two kids and uh i know we're gonna have to get a dog at some point but we're yeah. waiting to kind of build out a fence and all this stuff yeah. and you know, I would go to the shelter, but I'm like, how do you go to the shelter and find the right dog? I, like, I don't even know how to do it. How do you go about that? I know. I know. This is the first shelter dog I've had. And um, and the foster mom gave the best description of her, which sold me. She just said she's so zen and all she wants to do is hang out and she's really well potty trained already. <laughs> I'm like, She's super chill, so I got lucky, but um, so cute. oh my god, she's so cute, and she's so serious, she's got such like a little old soul face. So I'm ecstatic. I haven't had a dog for seven years, and I miss it so much. And I because of the traveling, but um, my not brother, so much anymore. The traveling, I know, I'm not kidding, right? But my brother just moved back to Salt Lake from Hawaii. And they just lost their dog, but they feel like they can't have another dog full time. And so they want to take my dog whenever I travel. And they're to <laughs> Oh, that's nice. great. So you have a dog share. <laughs> yeah, but I get it most of the time, except for when I'm not here. So I'm so happy about that. So anyway. that's exciting. Congratulations. <laughs> hey, I was wondering, uh, uh, Ted, did uh, I'm just. Did Jay Broad say he was going to jump on today? I didn't hear from him. I haven't heard. You know what? I'm going to text him right now and just say, hey, so what do you got there? That looks like a fancy cocktail. I made a fancy cocktail because I'm not drinking very much anymore. And Me neither. This is a good occasion. So cheers. <laughs> cheers. Hila. Um, Let me just move the dog because she's just grabbed a very noisy bone. Uh-oh. Right. <laughs> I don't know. She's pretty. She's pretty chill. But hang on. So. You should just keep her in your lap the whole time. We could just <laughs> she'll get involved. It's too distracting. I'll just want to talk about the dog. 
Dude, I you need to try. Do you drink tequila, Ted? Yeah, we have some really good tequila here. Gotta try this. We've got mezcal going on here. I love mezcal. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's actually a bar here. I'm in Dallas right now. Uh-huh. And there's a bar here that's like one of the first all mezcal bar and whatever. We'd go there and they have really good tacos and really good mezcal. And they have apparently they're like they this guy has one of the best collections like in the country. And I was like, why? And they're like, Oh, I think he's like, he's his grandfather or something. They own Jack Daniels. I was like, Oh, I, they're like, (laughs) they're liquor royalty. Yeah, pretty much. I was like, Ooh, easy does it. But, but mezcal is relatively new to me, but I was like, Ooh, this is, yeah, that's my new favorite. I've started getting allergies to a lot of my favorite alcohols like gin just oh, my no. allergies, a bet mezcal doesn't do it, and I love it. So, apparently, I don't know why, but apparently, uh, most most liquors are kind of like downers and whatever they do to your blood. Apparently, tequila is, has a bit of like the upper. Yeah, blood. I've noticed that about it. Like, it doesn't make uh, you sleepy. Although gin, yeah. I mean, uh, I've got scotch that doesn't make me sleepy. That will make you sleepy. Uh, I'm pretty happy with it always. <laughs> Depending on the scotch, it could probably make somebody very stabby too. <laughs> well, fortunately, we're on Zoom, so nobody has depending, to worry. Yeah, depending <laughs> on the quality of the scotch. <laughs> yeah. Camille, where are you? So you're in Salt Lake? Yeah, I'm in Salt Lake. That's where I'm Have from. You, you're from Salt Lake? Yeah. I thought I read that you were from, like, Houston. I was born in Houston, but we only lived there for six months, so I can't really oh, say I live you're, there. <laughs> you're from Salt Lake. You're, like, full Utah. Yeah. Did you grow up like skiing and going to Alta and solitude and all those like? I mountains? might be the only person in Utah who doesn't ski. What? <laughs> I know. I know. I bird is I snowbirds is calling for you. No, I don't like the snow. I don't like the cold. I don't like high altitude, and somehow I've stuck myself here. You're in like <laughs> you're in your worst. Why? <laughs> yeah. Why? Well. <laughs> Here's this prison cell that I'm going to put myself into. <laughs> I do like Salt Lake as a city to live in. That's affordable if I have yeah. to be in America. You know, um, you, know you don't heard... have to be in America. No, I don't. And I'm working towards spending most of my time over in Europe, but that hasn't quite happened yet. And now I just got a dog. So <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, like not going anywhere. <laughs> do you split so, your time a little bit? Do you travel there? Uh, yeah, pretty frequent. Um, I've been going back to Italy for three months out of every year um, for the last eight years and oh, wow. last year. So, in Florence? Yeah, in Florence. I have a place that's just, um, I mean, I rent a place that's just outside of the center of Florence, but it's still technically Florence. By the so. stadium or? What direction? It actually kind of is in that, it is in that direction, but it's just a little bit above the stadium. Uh-huh. Kind of at the base of, it's not really at the base of Fiesole, but it's, okay. it's in the same direction. Right. Um, and so it's countryside, but it's, you know, 15 minutes outside of the center. So it's kind of ideal. Oh my God, that's amazing. I lived uh, on the hill past Fiesole in uh, Caldine. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of artists lived up there. Yeah. I haven't been to, I don't know if there's just like one particular house up there that everybody tended to. Yeah. 
which I've never been to. This guy, Andrea, owned it. And uh, it just, he's like a professor, an art professor at the, you know, the whatever, some school in Florence. But he, uh, he seemed like one of those not, what? Is it the academia or a different? I know I, it, it didn't seem that. very serious. He didn't seem very serious about art. He, he like, he, th- he was one of those people. He had like all sorts of like, he'd have like his jacket on and he'd meet with you and have like a very formal meeting where like nothing was said and no information <laughs> like <laughs> went at, to anybody or from anybody. It was just, mm-hmm. but a lot of like straightening his glasses. And <laughs> by the end of the meeting, he's like the jack of service. He's spinning it around his head, <laughs> his ties around his forehead. He used Not to, I had serious. a friend come and stay with me and, uh, he was uncomfortable. She was a woman and we weren't married. And he was, he just kept repeating, this is not a casino. This is not a casino. You can't. <laughs> That's awful. Jay Bronson just joined us. Jay, Jay Braun, 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 Braun. Hi guys. Hello. Jay, Jay this is How Camille Corey. Hi, Hi Camille. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm all right. Are these guys asking good questions? We, uh, we haven't yes, gotten into it yet. What co- we didn't even get into it, but again, but this is just how we start. <laughs> right. Welcome to Suggested Donation. I'm Edward Menoff. I'm Tony Sir and I. Hi. And we have Camille. We are joined today with Camille Corey, who I I I've been a big fan of your work for for a while. And me too. I've been waiting to get you onto the onto the podcast. I'm, I'm so happy that you were able. We were all able to find time. In our busy schedules and travels. Yeah, so busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get together and chat a little bit. Well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited to be yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks I'm, for joining us. I'm going to ask you an incredibly stupid question, but I'm going to do it because what we were just talking about is hard like, hitting oh, questions of suggested donation podcast. How, let me, let me you know, you were just mentioning that you've been going back and forth to Italy for a long time. Why, pray tell, would you go to Italy? (laughs) I ever want to go there. Well, it started. um, (laughs) It was young, impressionable. Yeah, I was young and I dropped out of university art program. Yes. uh, After about three months uh, without telling my parents. What university uh, were you at? I was at the University of Utah. And... um, I was just, they were all art classes. I had a full ride scholarship and it was such a joke when I was there that I just, I couldn't stand it. So I dropped out and I had this, oh, it was just kind of the same story you hear from everyone and that I wasn't looking (laughs) at anything. (laughs) And I had no idea of what I wanted to do. I didn't, I would have never thought that I wanted to be a realist even, much less classically or traditionally trained. And uh, so, but all I knew is that I wasn't learning anything and I just felt like it was a waste of time. And I'd always been very realistic in my art anyway, growing up, copying photographs all the time. Um, Very, very realistic in my rendering. And so, uh, I don't know, I just, yeah, I wasn't learning anything. I felt like I was in kindergarten classes. Like throw something on the wall and call it art or collect junk from the streets and and make a sculpture without any skills being taught whatsoever. And so I was bored. Uh, 
So I dropped out and joined like the local printmaking shop here in Salt Lake and learned how to etch, like real etching and lithography. Like with acid and on yeah, plates. Like, and... plates. like it was real old school etching. Luckily, I can't remember my teacher's name, but it, um, so there, I had some, you know, sort of just odd art classes here and there and worked in restaurants like double shifts all the time for a few years until front of the house or back of the house a front <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh and then i had this goal to go to italy i had i had visited florence with my brother when i was 19 and uh we just went on this little trek together and i fell in love with florence of course and just had this dream to go back there and find an art school so I knew because I was doing etching, I knew that I wanted to go to Il Bisonte, which is a famous etching school in Florence. Mm -hmm. And so I, that was the only thing that I knew when I went to Florence. Um, let's see, how old was I? I think I was 21. And I just bought a one-way ticket with no intention of ever coming back to the States. That's I, but all I knew besides Il Bisonte was that I was going to find an art school, but I didn't know which one. Um, Did you know Italian? No, no, God, no. no. <laughs> Do you I, now? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I managed to avoid learning it, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Did you live with a bunch of English speaking? I had my own place, but at the point I went to the Florence Academy for a year and I just, uh, yeah, I, I I never found like I I never felt like I had time to to learn. I, I always was jealous of uh, friends like uh, Rob Bodum, the sculpture teacher there, uh, who's a good friend. He was I'd go to the like coffee bar with him, and he'd be like joking with the barista, and I was so jealous, but not jealous enough to do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I I. When my goal was to find a school that um, I wanted to find an Italian school because when I had been there traveling um, and I'd already dropped out of university and I just felt like all the Americans abroad were really obnoxious, you know, and I'm kind of reserved myself. So I tend not to gravitate towards really loud people. Um, and so I just had this thing like I didn't want to go to an American university. I wanted to learn Italian. And so I, when I got there, I was searching for schools, but I found the same thing in that nobody was teaching anything worthwhile. And a lot of the schools were teaching their classes in English and I didn't want anything to do with them. In fact, I, I'm, I don't know, I like being anonymous and I don't mind being alone and traveling alone. And um, I, I think some of my best times were in Italy was before I even knew Italian, just being completely anonymous. And love that. I don't know. I loved it. I loved it. It was like anything could happen. Possibilities are endless. And you've got all of these great adventures ahead. Um, yeah, my parents weren't too keen on the um, on me going with a one-way ticket. My dog is freaking out. That's okay. Your dog is, is so cute. Your dog is so cute. Your dog can freak out. Like she's so wants. chill until I'm doing something where I can't, you know. <laughs> were, were your parents flavor. Uh, keen on you pursuing art as a oh, career? 
Yeah, yeah. Luckily, they were ultra supportive and um, they never, yeah, they were always supportive. They probably thought, so my, I come from a big Mormon family and I'm the only one that's not Mormon anymore. Well, a lot of my nieces and nephews aren't, but, um, and so my, they probably thought I was going to get married and have a man take care of me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they never told me like, you can't make a living at art and you can't, like, it's not a good idea. I mean, they were, I really lucked out in this lifetime with my parents. Um, especially my dad. I mean, he, he was conservative in a lot of ways, but he had traveled the world when he was a young boy with his parents. And so he really encouraged us to travel and encouraged us to, to do whatever we wanted to do that made us happy. And um, so, yeah, I was, I was really lucky. I had that great support. I'm sure I wouldn't be, I mean, I'm sure that I would have still been an artist, but it would have been a lot harder pathway for me um, without their support, just emotional support, most of all. Isn't there also a strong tie between kind of a realist tradition and the Mormon church? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, the more, I mean, yes, I guess there is. There's a lot, we have a lot of artists here. And of course, a lot of them are Mormon. Um, yeah. A lot of them are not, but um, yes. Yeah, so a lot of them want to do commissions and whatnot for the Mormon church. And so there yeah. was that, was any of that, like, were you exposed to that when you were young? Like, was any of that part of like shaping your kind of just desire to do this or? <laughs> no, because I never liked church. <laughs> 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 listen to this at some point but I they all um (laughs) I didn't like church I mean maybe the only thing I liked about church was if I didn't like the artwork per se but if there was any books and it had artwork I would only be you know interested in the artwork Mm -hmm. but or singing I like music so I like to sing but I that was it (laughs) so Mm -hmm. no I mean but that wasn't an influence on you or yeah no, in fact, I kind of really pulled away from that. And when I had my atelier here, I really wanted to make sure that that was not emphasized whatsoever. Um, so when you were in Italy, so you're out there and you're like, I just completely want to submerge myself in this thing. Um, did you kind of know what you were looking for? Um, no, I didn't know any of that. And in fact, on my way over to Italy, I mean, I really, besides learning uh, etching more thoroughly at this Il Bisonte school, I thought I was going to go carve marble. That was my goal. I, oh, I really, so cool. Like, I really love sculpture a lot more than I do painting in general. Um, and just stone and I always the only thing I ever wanted to be besides an artist was an architect so I just love like the solidity of of you know stone or materials taking up space just that three-dimensional form um and so I thought I was going to go sculpt which I never did and um why not because I've always painted and drawn and so that just 
came naturally to me. And so I just, I ended up, um, so no, I didn't know what I wanted, but when I first got there, maybe the first week or two that I was there, one of my roommates said, come to figure drawing class at this small school. And it was Studio Cecil Graves. Mm. And before Dan and Charles Cecil split, right? And so um, I went and did open figure drawing there. But when, and I met Charles Cecil right away. Um, I didn't meet Dan for a long time, it seemed like. But um, I wasn't impressed because they were teaching their classes in English. And, <laughs> and the work, I mean, you know, I, because I didn't know what they were doing. I was just going to this open figure drawing session. And so nobody ever took me on a tour of the school. I didn't understand how intensive the study was. Mm-hmm. And so um, I wasn't super impressed with the art that I was seeing on the walls, but I didn't see that much to tell you, to tell you the truth. Uh-huh. You're just there for an evening open class. And so, but mainly I had no interest in it because they were teaching in English. I just completely shut it off um, because I was determined to find an Italian school and that taught in Italian. So anyway. Um, I mean, was there even an Italian school that was an Italian school that taught classical, you know, classical painting or classical drawing? I don't know. I don't think so. Not really at the time. I mean, you may have gotten some of it at the academia. Um, but... To me, what I was seeing was that it was like a lot of universities anywhere and that it was just a lot of modern art, which I liked a lot of it, but it didn't, nothing grabbed me. The instructor's work didn't uh, impress me in any way. And I just never found anything that I loved. So I spent the first year there drawing (laughs) around the city in the museum. It was just on my own with no instruction. And then I moved out to the country for uh, six months to make some money and teach this family English. And I knew no Italian and they knew lo- no English. And guess who learned <laughs> really fast? <laughs> I knew, I mean, it was, it was great for me. It wasn't so great for them. Um, <laughs> but when I came back in the city after a year of not going to school, I was enrolled. I had enrolled in Il Bisonte because it was still the only Italian school I could find that I wanted to go to. They taught in Italian. So I enrolled in that. But at the same time, I had moved back into the city and I had no money. And so I was going around to all the art schools, seeing if anybody needed a model because I was like, oh, I can, I know I can make money as, you know, just from doing the the figure drawing classes and stuff. And so I ended up like walking around for days at the end of summer and nobody needed models yet because the schools were still closed, but I was desperate for money. And my last stop was Studio Cecil Graves. And I knew it because I had gone there for drawing you were classes. There, yeah. I walk up the stairs and um, nobody's in there, you know. And I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> like, no schools are open. What am I going to do? Well, anyway, I keep just. I walk back a little bit because the door had been open, and uh, I met Jeffrey Mims and Paul Brown. Um, you guys know who Jeffrey Mims is? Yeah, 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 and. Uh, He's in North Carolina right now, but Jeffrey had just gotten to Florence and he was doing a huge mural commission. 
um, for a church in Baltimore. And he was doing, he was just starting it, like all of the preparatory work um, in Florence. And so he's going to Florence to do the prep work for a, a church in Baltimore. Yeah, he had been going to Rome every year for like a decade. I mean, he has he has a long history of spending half of his years in, in Florence and Rome. And so he had just gotten there and I, I got up the stairs and I, you know, I saw him and I was like, do you know if anybody needs models? Is the school open? And he he said, oh, my God, I need a model for the next five months. I've got a mural. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, OK, I'm your I'm your girl. And that's how I met him. And I ended up studying with him for seven years. And oh, wow. my, my introduction to all of this world was because Jeffrey was doing a mural and I got to model, which meant I saw the whole process. Process, yeah. And, you know, it's my first canvas that I ever stretched was his 10 foot by 10 foot mural canvas. He fell asleep. Oh, <laughs> And so he I couldn't had, give you like an 18 by 10 first to practice <laughs> on. No, it was, but you know, I was so young and eager and just like, give me anything to do. And it was, Did you guys speak in English or in Italian? Well, you know, by that time I had, I was, I wasn't fluent in Italian, but I could definitely get by. And I was going to Il Bisonte. I had mm. just started there. So um, I was going every day and speaking in Italian in, in Il Bisonte, and then Jeffrey is fluent in Italian. And so we didn't really speak in Italian when we were together, but we could. We did sometimes. But when we were out with friends, you know, we were speaking in Italian. Yeah. I love that because a lot of the Americans I knew didn't speak Italian. So when you were in there and you're modeling for him, you were also seeing the process. How was he instructing you were you going in there and being like okay half the day or, or most of the day you're actually working from something you're drawing you're painting and then you're going to model at the same yeah well the model situation the official model situation was only for those few months in Florence I mean I modeled for him throughout the time that I was studying with him but um those first few months I had school like Il Bisonte was during the day, you know, I don't know, until maybe three-ish or something. It seemed like it wasn't, I don't remember. It was full-time, but the hours seemed a little strange. But anyway. Italian go, hours. Yeah. And, and uh, we come <laughs> like evenings or weekends. But so what would happen in that first, the first year I was in Florence. And he was there half of the year. And then I think he went back to the States. But I would take any work that I did to him and he would critique it. And then I would be modeling. And then what started happening is he was progressing with the mural. He was hiring models, other models too. But, you know, uh, figure models, portrait models, hand models. Um, so if he had another model, I was invited to sit in and draw oh, with cool. him. And so he was just teaching me, you know, techniques, how to tone your paper, how to work with charcoal, sanguine. So there was no, there was no curriculum. He didn't have a school back then. He does now. So where did, was, Je where, where did Jeffrey, um, where did he study? Where did he learn his, um, you know, his craft? Yeah, he, he actually went to 
I think he went to RISD and then dropped out. And then he went to the Pennsylvania Academy, but he didn't actually go to the classes. I think he spent three or four years drawing from their cast collection in the, oh. in the basement. Yeah. And nobody used the cast back then. And so he would go draw all the cast and work from cadavers. And, um, and then he met Ben Long who was also going to Florence all the time, like he had a house there. And so he ended up following Ben to Florence and then ended up in Rome on his own. Um, he had a pretty informal education. Was he working out of the Cecil Graves studio or did he have his own studio? Yeah, no, he, um, he was renting. So when school, like in the summers, this mural went on for a good two years or so. And so in the summer, he would rent their space and they didn't have any summer classes going on. So we had the whole school and it was amazing. I can't even tell you how amazing it was. And then when school was in session, we rented downstairs where the Romanelli sculpture um, studio is now. And the Romanelli's, they're a big sculpture family and they've always owned that whole building. But downstairs, um, now they have a full-on sculpture studio. But when I was there, it was literally dirt floors. All of these life-size casts were there from like the huge sculptures around Florence with rooms upon rooms, little like closed off storage rooms with wooden shelves with maquettes on them in terracotta and cobwebs everywhere and huge rats running around. And the studio was haunted. I don't know if it's still, <laughs> but it literally was. We're going to need to hear more about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just such a fantastic experience. Um, especially downstairs with all of these. I have a lot of old photos. None of them are digital, of course, but lots of old photos of us working down there um, with these massive sculptures, these casts that are, beauty, you know, super high quality casts, obviously. Oh, cool. um, so, yeah, I just, I worked with him on the mural and eventually he let me work on the cartoon for the mural it's where I learned how to shade with charcoal, <laughs> like a stick of charcoal. And it was the hardest thing I'd ever done up to that point. And, um, and let, let me and Paul Brown also was his apprentice. I don't know if you guys know who Paul Brown is. Mm -hmm. England, yeah. So Paul um, is from the same that Jeffrey is from in North Carolina. And so Paul had gone to Florence with Jeffrey as his apprentice. And, um, so it was great because Paul was, you know, like my peer and we both just kind of did whatever Jeffrey, whatever jobs Jeffrey wanted to give us, you know, it was probably a lot of slave labor, but we didn't care. <laughs> it was great. So that was my education. And then I went back to North Carolina when Jeffrey went back there and just kept studying with him in North Carolina. And a lot of artists ended up passing through there to either meet him or study with him sometimes for long times, sometimes very short periods. And this was all before he ever had a school. We just oh, get yeah. a bunch of artists together, a lot of our European friends and hire models for three, four or five months and pay him to critique us. And 
It was definitely a different education than the atelier. I, I did not have any curriculum. I was completely up and down with, with my projects. I was always trying to push too far ahead too fast. And <laughs> if, if Jeffrey told me I couldn't do that, of course, I would get really mad and exactly set that project up. And so, <laughs> so, but it was great. It was a great education, very informal, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Now that you're in North Carolina, um, how are you different? Were you... Was it a big difference in like your focus and kind of where your head was at? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I finally, you know, finally somebody was teaching me something. And not that I thought that I knew everything. It's just that I hadn't encountered art classes that were teaching any skills. And all of a sudden I'm learning, you know, materials and techniques, which I loved. I like making things with my hands. Um, to how to really draw and techniques with painting. And um, yeah, it was completely, completely different. I felt like I finally had some sort of focus and direction um, and something that felt like I I naturally, I was drawn to it naturally because I was always very realistic, but it felt, it felt right. And it felt like, wow, this kind of training is a lifetime of learning. Yeah. I never understand everything or learn everything. And so, and everything was a huge challenge. So it keeps your interest, you know, and, um, and anatomy and art history. And I think a big part of it um, that, that I really stuck with it uh, was because Jeffrey was doing this mural and it was something that was so different than anything you'd see in art magazines or from, you know, the normal art school university. Um, it was like going back to the Renaissance and you're in Florence and you're 21 and you're, you know, somebody's doing these amazing, like a big mural, but it, it's not just throwing paint on the canvas. And, um, and so it was just, it was, everything was so, highly romanticized you know and I think so that was part of the experience in that you just see something that you thought wasn't happening anymore in the art world and um and so I mean that definitely kind of it's made me stick with it I think a little bit more just the time and the place and the project um and then once I really got into it with them and I really started learning things I was that was it. I was hooked. And did you think like I wanted to focus more on the figure or were you kind of just want to explore and just sort of unleash creativity and painting? Um, I don't know that I ever thought I would focus on the figure like a conscious thought. I don't think I thought that until quite a few years down the road, maybe even until I left North Carolina. Um, but the figure was the most challenging thing to me and I felt like it was the most expressive and um I always when I was young I always loved drawing portraits of people I would draw them over and over and over and um and so and I had never drawn anything from life until I got to Florence 
and that's a whole other world, right? Than drawing yeah. from photographs. And so um, I think that we definitely spent more time on the figure because Jeffrey's mural was like a 10 figure piece. So I was, I dove right into like figure drawing, portraits, figure. Um, but yes, my, my passion is the figure for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I would like to do more than anything in this past year. I haven't done anything from life except for, I guess, a year ago in January, February, I was teaching a workshop at, at Baca in San, San Francisco. That was the last model I had. No self-portraits? No, I don't know why. I think this year has been really weird for me with my work and I couldn't bear to do a self-portrait. I've done so many of them anyway. Yeah. And I just, for whatever reason, I just couldn't do it. I don't know. I think I was just so upset at myself for being unmotivated. Yeah. <laughs> just, well, you're, you're not yeah. alone. Did you continue so you, with etching? No. I went to Il Bisonte for a year and then never etched again, unfortunately. So, I just, yeah. It's so beautiful. And Dan Graves is such a great etcher. I know. I've got a lot of his etchings. Um, yeah, I just never set myself up with the etching studio for whatever reasons. And um, I should have done it when I had my atelier because I had these massive studios mm. when I had all my students. But mm -hmm. um, Do you need a lot of space? No, not necessarily. But I think just like the press. I mean, yeah, you can get smaller presses. But... Um, no, you don't need a lot of space, but like, I just, I was always working out of my house, whether I was in North Carolina or um, since I've let go of my ateliers, I don't have my huge warehouse studios anymore. So now I'm working at home again and I just don't, I just don't have the room to match. I mean, I would love to, but God, at this point, it's been so long. I have to take some classes again. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you said that you let go of your atelier? I decided that I wanted to start going back to Italy. And I was also, I just felt like I needed to focus on my own work and not teach full time. And um, yeah, I mean, I was teaching six days out of the week for 12 months out of the year with a two week Christmas break and maybe another week at the end of summer and I was the only one running it and sharing my studio with all the students and I loved it I love teaching so much but I was just I don't know I was ready to go back and spend months in Italy mm -hmm. and I felt like and just focus on my own work I was just ready to not teach full-time so I've been doing workshops here and there which I love but I've missed it this last year too yeah, it's good energy. And, and too, with teaching, like, I'm the one that learns the most. And yeah, that's the secret year, of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just the greatest thing about it. And I would have never understood anatomy to the level that I do without teaching it. Right. You know? I was, oh, I think I'll give anatomy lessons. God, I guess I better really create a lesson where I can explain it to people and if you have to explain it to somebody, you understand it on a different level. Yeah. I think. And um, so I kind of forced myself into a lot of things that, I mean, I got anatomy from Jeffrey, but not in a curriculum. 
So it was just like the haphazard anatomy lesson every now and again, which were fantastic, but I didn't, um, it was just kind of all over the place. And, um, and I'd never sculpted before. And so when I was teaching, I had my students do the ecorches and I did all of the projects with them and figured it out, um, learning with them. And it was the, one of the best things I've ever done. And so anyway, yeah, I just miss, I miss all of it. I don't miss it full time, but I definitely love, I love teaching. I never thought I would. I never thought I'd be a teacher, but you know, it's something I love. Yeah, absolutely. So are both of you guys teaching now? I am, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I am. I'm doing, um, you know, I'm, when I'm in New York, I'm, I'm at the Grand, you know, Grand Central mm-hmm. Atelier, but uh, I'm in Dallas right now, so it's hard. And uh, it, it's tough because, you know, people are like, you should start a school in Dallas. And, and, and I'm like in the same, but one, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I still have my studio in New York. So I go back and forth, but before co- that's before COVID, I was going back and back and forth. Now I'm just here, but it's one of those things where it's like, um, where if I ha- open up an atelier here, all of a sudden I'm like, well, now I'm responsible to teach all the time. And I don't think, uh, I would be afraid that I wouldn't be able to spend much time on my own stuff. That's true. Yeah. If it, if it was yeah. my own thing, I, I think I would be way more stressed out, but cause I can go into the, uh, the GCA and, and teach there. It's, uh, there's yeah, like I mean, an infrastructure that keeps the place running. And so I just, I get yeah. to do the fun part. Like I get to just work with people who are amazing and, Hopefully, you know, some of them get something out of it besides me. Yeah. No, it is definitely a really great thing to show up to a studio and just teach and not take care of the logistics. Right. That's workshops for you, right? It is so nice. Yeah. (laughs) It's really fantastic. (laughs) And, you know, you get to travel and... yeah. yeah, but hopefully, I don't know. I'm supposed to teach again at Baca in October, and that's the only workshop I've got lined up this year. And who mm-hmm. knows what's going to happen? I think most former students are not going to want to hear that because they didn't want me to close my atelier. But I think I got more work done when I was <laughs> teaching with them. Go to the studio, and everybody's there to work, to paint. Whereas yeah. I'm working in my house and I do not have the best self-discipline. I, <laughs> I don't want to admit it, but I do. And so, you know, there's any distraction around the house, my garden, you know, I've got to paint dishes. <laughs> I mean, and so, and not having the energy of like on the other side of the wall, you've got a group of students there working hard. And so, you know, I don't know. I, I still painted full time. And I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I got a lot more done, but I don't when know. You're, <laughs> what, what's in Italy? Or do you have like a community there that you stay in touch with? Um, do you have a studio, um, a place there? Or is it, you know, every time you go there, you kind of find a new place, you know? A new no, I, I go to the same place. So it's called Paul Marino. Uh-huh. And it is... So it's, um, it's this property and it's got three houses on it. Um, and the, like the oldest house, the original house on it. Um, I mean, that, that's really old, but it was owned by Vernon Lee. So, you know, Vernon Lee, who. Oh yeah. Sergeants. 
the writer. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it has this really rich history. And then once Vernon Lee died in, I think, 1935, um, the grandparents of the current owner bought this uh, property. And they, the grandparents, uh, they were an artist and restorer and like a decorative artist. And then, and they've kind of passed it down. So the family that owns it now have a very rich history of the arts. And there's, their grandfather had a studio in there that's still there. Um, And we can use it, but I end up painting landscapes when I'm there because the gardens are fantastic. And they're just, you roll out of bed and you're (laughs) in the garden and uh, you can just paint on your own patio. You don't even have to like talk to anybody. And um, so I go there every year. I found that in 2013 from a friend of a friend. And it was just, it was serendipitous. And the owners are like family at this point to me. So they have a few different apartments um, within, like within these, this property. And all the apartments are, you know, your own kitchen and bathrooms and stuff. Um, But they're all different, different sizes of apartments. And so I end up staying at the different apartments on the property and, Sometimes I stay in three different apartments during my three months stay or, you know, just they have to juggle things, but they have a lot of people just from all over the world that go through there. And a lot of them stay in Florence for a longer time. Some of them are there for a few days, but um, you meet some fantastic people. And this place is a a really great, um, they've got a great arts community thing going on there. They, um, like if an art historian writes a book, they'll have um, a big presentation and the book signing and the, what do you call it? It's not just a book signing, but they'll do that up on the property. They have lots of art shows at this point. Um, tons of artists go through and now there's a whole bunch of students from Florence Academy oh, and wow. yeah. studios that know about it and will go up and stay during the summer. And so at this point, there's always artists there, I think. Um, and so it's, re- it's really fantastic. But just the history, I mean, Sargent was there, absolutely painting there, but I don't know. I don't know if they really have a lot of records of that. Um, but it's such a beautiful, beautiful, special property up in Florence. And it's not high-end touristy resort kind of thing. Um, it's the, the owners are so down to earth and so supportive of artists, but they have lots of different kinds. They have musicians and writers and historians that end up there. And so it's really fantastic place. Do you get models over there too, to do figure paintings, like in the landscape? I have, I've had a few. Um, Yes, we've had a few for sure, but um, I mostly end up doing landscapes when I'm there just because they're such an easy sell and I can pay for my trip when I get back, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I love, I love painting landscapes and I generally, I'm not going in the dead of winter. I'm either going in the end of summer into the fall. I've gone a couple of springs. Um, but I'm Have not. you ever done any workshops there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So no. people from you would like people from the states can come and yeah. stay a week and study with you in. Yeah. The, in yeah. We Will have, you let us know when you do that? Sure. <laughs> I, I know I need to do one desperately. Um, I mean, we probably had one lined up last year and then everything got canceled. Um, yeah. But yeah, we did, I think, a 14 day one and we had, we did a portrait out in the garden, like a full figure, but clothed. And um, we did that in the morning and then we painted landscapes in the afternoon and then you know, the three hour lunch and, and weekends free and, and it was great. Yeah. I missed that. That's like Soraya. It was so hard. It's, it's so hard. Yeah. (laughs) I'd love to do it again. It's, it's really difficult. Yeah. You feel like anything's going to be different when you kind of emerge from this or are you just (laughs) eager to get back to it? Oh my God. I don't know. I am in such a, uh, funk with my work um not even my work just not painting too much I mean it's not that I haven't painted I painted a lot last year actually mm-hmm. but I may have created more small paintings last year <laughs> than I ever have but they're not but none of them are figurative I did it I had a few studio cells I painted a lot of still lives which I like doing as well um, and did some landscapes, not much though, uh, in order to survive, pay the bills. Yeah. But ended up, I kind of uh, dragged out the studio cells and had a really good time doing it. And it kept me busy. It was good just to be working and being in that momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like with figurative work i'll tell you what's changed but i haven't actually implemented it is that i'm going to have to find a way to work for models over zoom or with photographic references which i've never done before i've always worked from life and had a big just my training with mims and my own teaching with my atelier never taught from photographs we never use them unless How come unless you're doing a master copy mm-hmm. because I think that painting from life it um it offers you so much more on so many levels um whether it's a figure or a landscape or a still life you're still you still have to translate your subject matter into two-dimensional onto a two-dimensional surface from a three-dimensional object. And in that translation, there is so much to be learned and interpreted and intelligently altered or intuitively altered or subconsciously altered. And when you're copying a photograph, I mean, I know that you can use photographic references and not just copy it, obviously. You can still do a lot of interpretation with photographs. Um, but it's still a two-dimensional, you're still translating from a two-dimensional sort of object, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a one for one. It's easy to go one for one. Yeah. And, and sort so of not think about it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, the challenges are just not there. And like when you're working from life, the model is moving, no matter how good the model is, they're moving, they're breathing, they have to get up for a break. You move and you don't realize it. And you see these subtle differences from your point of view when you're mm-hmm. working from 
Same thing with the landscape, right? It, and so you get to pick and choose a lot more. You have all of these options to choose from. And um, just by shifting your perspective or the model shifts or the lighting shifts, right? The time of day, the, the temperature, so many things that to me, I, I feel like the changes when you're working from life are opportunities, mm -hmm. not, not restrictions and not hurdle. I mean, they might be challenging, and they're definitely hurdles when you're a student, right? When the model moves and everything. But for oh, yeah. me, uh, those are the opportunities. Painting more interesting or better or or what have you, or to keep me from getting, I actually don't get bored that easily. But if, you know, paintings take a while, I don't usually do all la prima. I mean, I will with a still life or landscape, but uh you're spending so much time like on a figure painting that if, if there's not challenges along the way or opportunities to nudge it and have it evolve and change, then it just becomes tedious because the technique takes a while. Right. On yeah. And so I love, I love the aspect of, I, I love being able to change something, even if it's like, a huge change. It's frustrating, you know, and in, in like in the moment of like, oh my God, I've got to change the whole position of the arm on this model, or or I want to get rid of that tree or whatever it is. But that to me is what keeps it interesting, part of what keeps it interesting. So when you're working from a photograph, to me, it just doesn't have as many opportunities to really evolve like that or, or interpret it. And so, but I am willing to adapt. I am really dying to get some figurative painting done, but I'm not going to have a model in my teeny little house right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, eventually, but so, or just doing like, I need to set up online teaching. I've needed to do it for years and I, still haven't done it and I should be doing it immediately. And so to just if you're going to do a figure of class over Zoom, you know, I've got to figure out a way that I can work, you know, from that screen and everything. So I'll probably be changing. You said you don't really work all of Prima, so you work relatively indirectly. So are you doing lots of drawings first? Are you doing color studies? Are you just like doing tons of thumbnails? Like how do you, what's your process? Like figure as opposed to landscape, landscape is probably you just go for it, but I'm wondering just kind of what, what your art is like of the type of work you do. Yeah. Yeah. Landscape, still life. Uh, I'm just going directly into, I do not do drawings. Once in a while, I'll put a little bit of charcoal on the canvas if it's a complicated composition just to generally map it out but i don't ever do a, a specific uh drawing for still life and landscape never for landscape um with figure i i've stopped doing a lot of preparatory studies mostly because <laughs> anytime i'm working i'm probably working for a deadline somehow <laughs> and yeah. so you're kind of limited on time and um, I don't, not to say I don't ever do a preparatory drawing, but if I do, it's pretty sketchy. 
And uh, once in a while I might transfer on that preparatory drawing, but it's very loose uh, with the idea that even if I transfer something on, I'm pretty sure it's gonna move around on the canvas. And also, even if the pose didn't change in the end, um, I never get meticulous about transferring on a drawing because you've got wet, mushy oil paint happening, which just gets pushed around and mushed around. And, and so they're like your drawing gets obliterated anyway. And so I never do a tight drawing when I, um, I used to, but that was a long time ago. But I try to, um, if, if I don't do a preparatory drawing, I might do a little bit of a loose charcoal drawing on the canvas or just draw in with some umber um, to get the general proportions and contours and gesture. Um, do you fix it or do you, um, no. do you just? Yeah, no, I just let it go into the paint because if I, I feel like if I fix it, uh, I'll be married to it. Yeah, and so when those it. changes happen, I'll be more hesitant to make the changes. Uh, and usually, not always, but usually you're hoping that the changes are for the better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I don't like to, I don't like to adhere to anything too much. Um, I am open to changing things during the whole process, but um, what I try to do, and I also tell students this, um, you don't want to be chasing that drawing the whole time, right? Because you could do it forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even, even in my opinion, like when I used to be more rigid with my drawing or, or like even if you did something sight size or semi sight size and you try to get really exact with it, um, in my opinion, in my experience with all of my students, no matter how good they were, and no matter how correct you think you are, no matter how much you've measured, by the time you get into value work and color work, you see more, right? Yeah. The more information that's on your canvas or your paper, the more you see things. So if you're married to this precise contour drawing, because you think it's absolutely correct, I guarantee by the time you get some values going on in there or color, both right you're going to see more and you're going to see where oh okay that wasn't so correct or guess what yeah. the model moves and her the position of her shoulder is just ever so slightly more beautiful so mm -hmm. like I just don't want to get that I just don't want to get that locked in mm -hmm. I think so but but at the same time like deciding when to stop chasing uh like the drawing, whether it's to be absolutely precise and correct. In my opinion, I, I want to stop chasing it when I have the essence of the gesture that I wanted that expresses the feeling of that painting in the first place. Mm -hmm. So if I have an arch in the torso and, and I've got the proportions pretty good, if the model keeps moving, like if, if the model has a beautiful arch in the torso, they're probably going to lose it after posing for a long time. <laughs> so I'm not going to, like, if the model loses a little bit of the gesture that I wanted, I'm not going to keep chasing the drawing to adhere to the model who's losing 
one of the essential things about the so anyway that's that's what i tell students is you you have to decide and everyone's different like your gesture you might like less of an arch in the torso than i want right and and then when you just say if you want to change that then you change it when when the model gets a little more relaxed into it and, and loses the gesture a little bit so i try to get students to at least be thinking about what the general gesture is and when the model is going to lose it a little bit when they're you know it's like you're doing a portrait you want to do the eyes in the first 10 minutes of the session as opposed to and every other 10 minutes of right yeah <laughs> So just things like that, you know, like open to it as long as, but in the end, I want to keep the basic essential kind of gesture or feeling or mood. Right. Yeah. It's hard to know because if if everything is open always, I, I just, I'm too willing to distrust my earlier decisions and then make some bad choices. No, you're right. I think with the, like you say, the earlier decisions, a lot of the time for me, my initial impressions or ideas or feelings or whatever about the project tend to be what I come back to. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I'm aware of that now. And so um, I try to keep that in mind, you know, because, yes, a lot of, you know, I can change my mind 10 times during the the process. And if I find myself doing that too much, I'll go back to thinking about what that first impression was. Mm -hmm. A lot of times um, I talk about that with students in terms of color. Like if you can't, you know, you can go back and forth. No, it's green. No, it's purple. No, it's this. No, it's that. Right. And, um, but a lot of times, especially with color, my first impression tends to be not necessarily right, but what will work the best mm-hmm. in that application. Um, and not always, but I, so I try to have students be aware of what their first impression was, just to remember it. It doesn't mean you have to stick with it, but a lot of the times there, there's a lot of validity in that, I think. Yeah. Kind of ideas and impressions and it is easy to get caught up and move away from them. Um, so, yeah. And, and I think a lot of the times when I say like, I'm open the whole way through, I, I also, I'm open to going back to that initial. <laughs> right. What happens with a lot of it. Do you yeah. ever leave like little breadcrumbs to <laughs> remind you what that first impression was? Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. I I love colors and I love experimenting with them. Um, I I learned like from when I started painting, I learned a lot of grisaille for figure and portrait painting. Um, still life and landscape were those were always direct painting. I never did any sort of underpainting with those. I don't think I don't remember doing that at all. Um, so, but with the figure, um, I don't do a full-on underpainting grisaille anymore. But what it's evolved to is that um, the lay-in is, I focus on warms and cools right from the start. So I do kind of a green, gray, 
um, lay in for all of the light masses. And so I do warm shadows, cool midtones, and then warm highlights on top. I'm really simplifying it here. And those cool midtones are kind of a green gray. And then I do like a warm orange-ish highlight on top of that. So you're building up your form with the lights. And then all of the shadows are just sort of a warm reddish brown transparent lay-in. This is for the lay-in. And that way... Are you working on tone canvas usually or, or yeah. white canvas? I, yeah, yeah. I always work on tone canvas. It's very hard for me to work on white. Yeah. Um, it's an extreme. I mean, it's not the same as working on black, but it's an extreme in the value oh, yeah. chart, right? And so for me, uh, working on tone canvas, number one, I like the canvas better before I even touch it. It's yeah. pretty. It just grabs the paint better. <laughs> it, it grabs the paint better. It's a prettier color. It just, I find it more inspiring to then start working on. Um, <laughs> that's also how I learned though. And I saw Jeffrey Mims work on these, whether it was toned paper or toned canvas, and it was just stunning. And so I was emulating that, and that's how I learned to paint. Um, Easily satisfying. <laughs> it looks light like it's supposed to instead of it looks dark on a white canvas. And so yeah. I just feel like it's it's a middle ground which enables you to judge more fairly your values when you start, right, until you have it covered. Um, so, yes, I'm always working on a tone canvas. It's generally a warm a warm, earthy color, like a raw sienna-ish color, generally. I mean, I, I'll experiment. but um, And then after that lay-in, I go in, I put in the carnations, the reds, like, you know, in the lips, the cheeks, the tip of the nose, the knuckles, yeah. the palms of the hands, etc. cetera. Um, and then I go in for uh, direct color and broken color. And I just, I, I generally, not generally, I always mix a lot of base mixtures on my palette. Um, when, when, once I get past the lay-in and I'm doing direct color, I'm mixing up a warm and cool purple, a warm and cool green, a warm and cool red, mm. a warm and cool shadow, a warm and cool, uh, I use a lot of different terms than uh, lots of other schools, as we all find out. Um, but like a transition color that's yeah. a lot of people would call a mid-tone, but that, that halo right be as the light turns into the shadow and you get that nice, cool, gray-ish mm -hmm. color. Yeah. So I'll tend to mix up big amounts of these base mixtures. They're all warm and cool, okay? And then I've got a pink highlight, an orange highlight, a golden highlight, etc. And you pre-mix and you pre-mix these. I pre-mix them on yeah. my palette on before palette. the model gets there because if I don't have a bunch of paint mixed up on my palette, I'll tend to go thinner than I want to paint. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's like trying to mix the color also because the models are expensive. And I don't want to spend yeah. a lot of time looking down at my palette. I mean, you have to do this in the beginning, of course, looking at the model. So, but yeah. now it's like if I if I know the general skin tone of the model, then you I could pre-mix it a little bit and just go at it, you know, right. faster. Right, pre-mix yeah. shadows, midtones, lights, highlights, right? And so, 
but I mix up a bunch of them so I can get thick paint in the lights when I want it. But these base mixtures are meant to be adjusted as I go along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm always mixing and I am mixing with my brush, but I still have like a lot of paint on there. And it just helps me like you have to put something on to begin with knowing that you're probably going to adjust it because it's relative. Like I just tend to mix up a huge amount of paint base mixtures on my palette that will get adjusted the whole time painting. And that, you know, that takes a good half an hour or so. And I do it before the model gets there if possible. Do you ever like do it in just two bumps? So, you know, like here's these ones that I, I use just pretty often that. and just, and you just like, before the model gets there, you just tube them off. No, I haven't ever tubed it up. I, I, I know I shouldn't do this, but I stick my palette in the freezer <laughs> to keep it. It's fresh. fine. It works. Uh, and so I don't waste a lot of paint. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'll, yeah, especially if you're working on the same painting for a few days, a few yeah. weeks. Um, I just scrape up those mixtures and I keep them all and stick it in the freezer. Yeah. When you hire a model, do you already have a plan for like a painting, like casting in the role and you, you bring them in? Yeah, uh, usually I have some sort of an idea. Um, sometimes not. Um, I have a few models who I've been working with for so long and they're really close friends now. Um, and one in particular um, has been working with me for so long that I I don't even have to have an idea. I can just bring her in or I'll put on a piece of music and say, this is the mood I want. <laughs> and she'll get into this amazing pose. But a lot of the time um, it has to do with um, either I have a frame that I can use. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I yeah, <laughs> you got to fill the frame. Or yeah. make a panel for the frame. So I've got those parameters. Um, or that happens a lot, right? We all recycle yeah. our frames and. Oh, yeah. Constraints of just a certain kind of a rectangle can be really like exciting to try and figure out how to express something in that space. Yeah. Absolutely. It's it's a lot more fun than just having no parameters at all. Right. Um, but usually it's um, a lot of time, I would say probably 75% of the time, it's because I have a parameter, either a frame that I can feel, or I've just got a canvas hanging out or a panel or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes it's, a lot of times it has to do with music. Um, mm-hmm. The, the mood, the feeling of the piece that I want. What do you listen to? I, I listen to a lot of different genres, so. Yeah. That you have a lot of females in your paintings. Like a lot of my work um, might not have a concrete theme to it, or it doesn't have a concrete theme until I finish it. Because I don't know what's going to happen. Like I have more abstract, intuitive feelings about. It's like a feeling, yeah. Yes, or even a color scheme. Or I get inspired by something visual that's not necessarily anything even realistic, I guess. And so when, like in in particular, uh, one model who's who's my closest friend here, she can express visually what I'm feeling. Mm. And so she was always so good at it that I, she was 
one of our models a lot with my school. And now we're just such close friends that it's so easy yeah. <laughs> to have her as a model. So, I mean, she's a true muse. So it's also kind of spoiled me for other models because <laughs> she's so easy to work with. Um, <laughs> and painting's so hard. So that's part of it. Um, but I have a few friends, models that are like that, that are so good. And there's just some connection that how they express themselves visually in poses is what I want to do with my art. Um, but I mean, gosh, I haven't painted a figure for so long. Like, I don't know. I love the male figure. I would love to do male figures, but it's, um, yeah, the female, I guess female models just, you just ended up having a lot. There were more, there tended to be more female models or what I wanted to express ended up, I connected with the female form, I guess. Yeah. Um, they are, I will say this because everybody knows it, but they are easier to sell. So like a yeah. male nude, a lot of times with galleries, they're, they're not going to sell. And the fact is I have to make money. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't ever feel like I'm, not that I've never compromised my work, but I'm not, no matter what I paint, I want to paint it at this point. I'm not ever painting something that I don't want to. It's, I mean, it's easy to get sucked into the idea that everything needs to be this grand concept and yeah. idea and meaning and everything. But I think a lot of people and us included, I do it too. We forget that the primary, the medium is visual. It's the primary thing. It's visual art. And so that has to be first and foremost. I mean, with a lot of visual art, it's not first and foremost. But in my opinion, like if it doesn't do something visually for me on some level, I don't care what the concept is. Yeah. And and just, I think, being visually intriguing, interesting, beautiful. I know the concept of beauty is different to everybody, but whatever, interesting, intriguing. If it's not visually intriguing, it's... <laughs> For me, it's not visual art. It's a it's a different thing or something. Yeah. And so, it's enough sometimes just for it to be visually, you know, interesting. You've been doing some designy things, and it, you're getting some beautiful, um, really beautiful designs. And it seems like you were sort of starting to incorporate a lot of design into your figure paintings. Is yeah. that um? Is that something that you think like a direction you're going? Yeah, I have thought it's a direction that I'm headed towards, albeit not very <laughs> linear. It's just sort of like side roads here and there. But um, I love the Islamic geometric patterns. I always They're really beautiful. And, um, and I don't like I have incorporated some of that into my work for sure. And what I don't want to do is just copy specific designs and stick them up as a background. And I, I yeah. have not done that. Um, but I do a lot of, I've taken a lot of courses online at this point and I've done some study trips. Um, courses so, like ge geometry courses. Yeah. They're Islamic geometry courses. So you're constructing these patterns with a ruler and compass. Yeah. There's no math involved, which is great. <laughs> but, <laughs> 
so satisfying and so <laughs> and because I wanted to be an architect at some point so I can sit there with a ruler and a compass and a pencil all day long I love it <laughs> so much um <laughs> and then all of a sudden these amazing patterns emerge from these grids of geometry and it, they're infinite it's just there's they're so beautiful and um there's a couple of YouTube sites, really old school ways of yeah. finding the measurements. And I'm like, I, I could eat up all this stuff. I'm yeah. so into it. It's so great. You should take some of these courses. I'll hook you up. I would totally that. take it. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, the teachers are great. Um, I went to Abu Dhabi was the last one oh, awesome. in 2019. What were um, you doing there just for that reason? A, or A week-long course with this group. Oh, so they just... They're, you're just going all day long and learning these patterns and constructing them. And um, but the one that was really uh, fascinating was we went to Granada. Um, oh yeah, where the Alhambra yeah. is, and I yeah. had never yeah. been there. And so we did a lot of we constructed a lot of the patterns from the Alhambra, and then did like we we went into the Alhambra and. And the teachers, you know, showed us all the stuff in there. And it was just, it, that was an amazing trip. Um, yeah. So amazing. Morocco. Yeah, Morocco was last year and then it got canceled. We were going to do Fez and Marrakesh. Um, oh, yeah, I did that. Uh, yeah. So beautiful there. Um, yeah, I was there three years ago, but not doing, I was teaching a workshop in Marrakesh with another teacher, actually. Oh, that's cool. And that was great, but so cool so that's working its way still you think in, into your paintings yeah i think so but i don't really know how because i just don't want to just i don't want to just stick these backgrounds in back of the figures not that it wouldn't be beautiful but i'm not sure how i want to incorporate them i guess mm -hmm. so i don't have a clear vision yet so i haven't really like i haven't pursued it into my real paintings yet i've just been doing all these constructing these patterns so that I'm familiar with, you know, technique and whatnot. And I'm sure that eventually I'll find some clearer vision of how I want to incorporate it. I mean, I love pattern anyway, not just Islamic pattern, but um, it's just patterns. Yeah. But just pattern, but the Islamic, because of the geometry underlying the patterns, mm -hmm. it's like you get the best of like your left and right brain going on. You just, get beautiful organic um, patterns at the same time you've got these really amazing structures underneath it. Mm -hmm. um, so is there a history yeah. to it that you've been learning? Like I haven't been doing how it developed or no, I haven't been digging into that too much. I mean, when we take the courses online, sometimes the teachers will give you little tidbits of that. Mm -hmm. um, just depending on what pattern they're doing, like where it's from. Mm -hmm. um, but personally, I haven't delved into it. I mean, I would love to, but I feel like when I finally get to, to the Middle East and all the places I really want to go is probably when I'll end up doing more of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny is that you're going to probably end up making these patterns and they're just going to become the art. You're like, yeah. I mean, I've, it, it's happened to me where I'm like, because Ted knows, Ted makes fun of me that I'll create wallpaper <laughs> like because I can't oh find God. something. And then after you do that, you're 
you end up, it becomes so like precious that you're like, I'm more interested in the wallpaper than I am making a painting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I've done the, some of the patterns and designs behind my figure work, they definitely take a thousand more time, a thousand more hours than the figure does. (laughs) It's so much more difficult. And, um, also because I don't have a lot of experience with it, you know, I'm still experimenting and whatever. But it's so much more interesting. I mean, the, I, I still love the figure, but at this point, the background stuff is way hard. <laughs> and, and just design work in general, you know, if you're, if you're not wanting to copy a design and you make your own design, that's a whole other yeah. thing. Wow. Called the, the breakup of space is something, I mean, we do it with our own paintings. Yeah. Just sort of like flat, two-dimensional design work is a whole different thing. It's really uh, hard. I wanted to ask you guys something. I know you guys are the interviewers, but do you guys work no, from not. memory? <laughs> do you work from memory a lot? Like in your work, is that something that you guys do as sort of a just? So I'll, I'll, I have my moments where I'm extremely, extremely accurate to what's in front of me. Like to the point of almost like I'm locked in and trapped. Uh, but <laughs> Ted, Ted's doing it mine right now. Uh, but <laughs> said, I actually do a fair amount of completely making stuff up because of, you know, I, that's how I, that's how I learned is just you make stuff up, whether it's cartoons or, you know, whatever, you know, doodling and stuff. So I was just before you came on, I was showing Ted a painting that I'm working on. Um, that is, I started it, you know, from life because I'm, I'm, I've, I've very much worked from life. Uh, but then I started skewing it and then I just started making things up and started just taking theoretical ideas and saying, if I adjust my color, like taking color theory and I adjust everything simultaneously to this other part of the color spectrum, this is what it should look like. So if I just, just turn the whole color wheel by yeah, 30 much, degrees. Like, that's pretty much what I did. <laughs> I took it and I turned the color wheel and said, okay, in, in theory, this is how it should come out. And that's what I've been doing. Uh, a couple of other things lately, I've just been completely making stuff up, but I think it gets to the point when you do enough of these paintings that they're all you kind of get it and you can kind of say, well, if this thing existed, this is what it would look like. Cause I've done a version of this a hundred times. Yeah. Yeah. And Ted has, I mean, I think a lot of your paintings now just are completely out of your head. Now. They're totally made up. Yeah. yeah. I, it's yeah. I mean, which is fun for me. Like I, I just, it can go anywhere. It's a little bit, one of the challenges with that is that you're not looking at anything. There's nothing in front of you. And so the answers are all, kind of inside as opposed to like, I mean, I studied painting from life. And so all the answers are, you know, in front of me, like to look at. And when you're making things up there, the answers are all within you. And if you can't come up with them, I, I, I spend more and more time every year just sitting in a chair looking at a painting and not you know not painting just trying to like problem solve or figure out like where to go with something um, so your your wave paintings are just totally made up 
Mostly, yeah. I mean, I, I do a lot of plein air sketches and uh but yeah, the the bigger ones are just entirely right. sort of out of here. Yeah, that's amazing. That's very cool. Oh my god. Yes, I'm a realist painting painter, but I'm not because that's just the result. What mm -hmm. I'm looking for isn't necessarily like I don't know what I'm I'm just searching. Yeah. And that just happens to be the result. So if you want to call it realism, that's what it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. So, so it's an interesting question. Um, what about you? Yeah. Camille. Yeah. I, I do work from memory a lot. Um, I haven't, I have done some just invented landscape paintings. That's the only time I've just tried complete invention, I guess. Um, and they don't tend to work out, but I generally paint landscapes from memory. So most of the time, I, I love twilight. <laughs> I'm not a morning person, but I love twilight. So, you know, my perfect, I'm always trying to capture that 10 minute effect, right? Right. And you can't, you can, you can't even lay in a painting in it's that amount. 10 minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I tend to like, I'll try to lay it in. I basically just get it like sketched out where things are gonna sort of fall. But what I'll do is, and then I'll just stare at it for that half an hour, you know, as the light's moving. And then the next day I'll get up and just paint that in the studio from memory. And um, I started doing that a long time ago, um, probably because either it was raining or I was out camping in the desert and couldn't, you know, whatever, the whole light effect changed or something. But then I found that I really love working that way. Um, because if I'm painting from memory, number one, it's a challenge. So you're really forcing yourself to, you're, so if I know I'm gonna paint it from memory, I'll observe it in a different way. Rather mm -hmm. than just, like if you're just observing and you've got three hours and you're painting, 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 you're, you're really just, trying to capture what your eye is seeing. But if yeah. you're painting from memory, your observation, you're gonna remember it in a different way. And I like, like the next day, um, I try to do it as soon as I can so that my memory's fresh. And I feel like I'm tapping into more of an emotional mm. um, area in my brain from that memory, mm -hmm. uh, where it's not just the visual memory, it's also like, I'll try to visualize how it felt walking to that place or if the wind was blowing or what it smelled like or how the temperature and whatever. And so all those things kind of helped me recall it visually. And, um, and because I'm not locked in, like if you're inventing things, the same thing, you're not locked yeah. into things in front of you. And so it tends to come out, I think a lot of times more powerfully emotionally. Yeah. Um, but with the the figure i work a lot from memory and that started because wow. models are expensive or like the model would leave and you'd have another two hours of light and your paint's wet and i'm just <laughs> painting yeah reading the paint and then pretty soon you realize you can recall what was happening on that shoulder because you know where the light's coming from you already have your colors down kind of um, and so now how I work, I, I probably spend a lot more time without the model if I'm doing a figure. It's like mostly, sculpting. Yeah, it's mostly from memory and just conceptualizing it, you know. Yeah. You know, 
you know where the light's coming from and yeah. you know the form and you know the anatomy. So I'll tend to just make uh, as many notes as I can while the model's there without trying to really manipulate my paint or the form. Um, I just get like that, that color, that value, here's the drawing, whatever. Uh, just get as many visual notes with the paint down and it's pretty sloppy. And then I, I try to like schedule it where I do have a few hours left of light in the studio where I can just, the model's gone and I can focus. Nobody's in there yeah. and I can manipulate the paint like I want. Um, I mean, I'm that way with the landscape too. And I love, I love to be outside. I love landscape painting, but you know, when you're actually out there and uh -huh. it's like, God, damn these mosquitoes or <laughs> I mean, there's all these excuses why I can't focus. <laughs> you know, I could right. never paint in Florence outside because of the, my allergies would always get um, just like overwhelming <laughs> when I get outside. Yeah. There's Who always why. like, I mean, I just find any excuses to why I can't focus. <laughs> when yeah. If I'm in the studio, like doing that landscape, I'm remembering the whole experience a lot more fondly. Like, I don't right. Remember. You don't remember the mosquitoes. <laughs> God, that was so beautiful. Right. Usually there are a few of them stuck in your paint. <laughs> yeah. There's always a few in your paint or your easel falls because a big thing of wind comes by and knocks over your, your oh, easel. You're yeah. like, ah! So many times, so many times. <laughs> you drop a brush on the ground, you pick it up and it's just dirt all over it. Sand, like, Damn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no there's sand in my paintings for like months after my last trip to the beach <laughs> oh, I'm sure. yeah he actually artificially adds the sand so people think he was on, <laughs> on the beach. yeah buy it at lowe's i remember going to like out to fire island when you're in you know ted was painting and it's just he's in the middle of the beach full sun and i'm sitting there going like how can you paint with just like 12 o'clock sun in the summer on your easel and on your back. And he's like, Duh. and I was like, dude, that's just so well, just jump in the ocean, cool <laughs> off, ride a couple waves, come back out and paint some more. Wait, very quickly. Just trickle <laughs> off or sand. <laughs> no, yeah, but they're they're getting in the sunblock business. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna they send you a bag of sand that you can actually artificially just sprinkle on your painting. So it's right. sand, it right. seems like you're a lot more hardcore than you really are. Right, right. In seriousness, what happens when you when your easel falls over? Is your painting destroyed? Pick it yeah, up. usually. Usually, it's destroyed. You have to start. Can't get the sand out. Yeah. You well, what about dirt? What about dirt? To just clear. work it into the painting. Yeah. Really? I mean, a paint is dirt that's been crushed really finely and then oil put into it. <laughs> so it just gets, it gets real lumbery fast. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, good times, good stuff. Hey, yeah, I wanted to thank you for coming on. This was awesome. And um, I do want to say when we, when we're all able to get together, um, we have to get together and do this live as well. Cause um, yeah. I just know that, you know, we would just go on forever. Um, Plus, we need to hear some to travel, haunted studio stories. I want to hear haunted studio stuff because I love that stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Jay, were you about to say something? Well, I was going to say we should we should do a part two of this at some point sooner. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Um, well, hey, when we're able to get together, like let's get together. I'm I'm in Dallas, but I can I'll drive up to I'll drive up to Salt Lake. 
We can do some. We can do some desert paintings with our uh, amazing. Desert. Oh, cool! Yeah, it's beautiful yeah. there. Yeah, you have some. Um, you have some amazing deserts in Utah, yeah. so that would be that would yeah. be really cool. I uh, won't do skiing, but I will <laughs> after you get through skiing. Yeah, we'll all meet, and we'll just yeah, we'll meet at the at for happy hour afterwards. Yeah, after we'll ski. we'll record a podcast at the lodge. At the lodge, I'll pre-ski. It would be amazing. Um, Right. Well, uh, your paintings are amazing. Uh, you're awesome to talk to. Um, where can people, I mean, do you have uh, like a site or anything? Do you have any <laughs> workshops coming up? Do you have like a workshop or anything scheduled? Um, the only workshop I've got coming up at the moment is uh, in October. I think the first week of October at Baca in San Francisco. Yeah. That's the Bay Area Classical at, uh, Artist Atelier. Artist Atelier. And uh, so that's it for this year. Um, I'm hoping to make it to Italy maybe in the fall, but who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And then at some point I'll start teaching online. And uh, once I get that up and running, I will be announcing it on Instagram, I'm sure, Facebook. I don't have a website. Um, do that for the last five years and still haven't. And now, I mean, it's you can sell artwork through Instagram. So I just yeah. done the site, but um, yeah, Instagram, Facebook, Camille Corey, Camille with a K. That's yeah, let us know if you do, and we'll we'll announce it as well. Uh, okay. I might be joining that too, so <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to jump in on that on that yeah. uh, a workshop because I, I love your work. So. Uh, yeah. Well, thank so, you for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. This was super fun. Yeah, and thank you so much. Yeah, it was my pleasure. It was really fun talking. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Jay Braun, for, uh, for hanging out. Jay Braun, 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 Braun. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you, Trekel, for uh, for continuing supporting um, us and the art world with your awesome products. So, Trekel. We'll, we'll see you all very soon. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Thank you. And good luck with the puppy. Thanks, oh yeah, guys. can we see the can we see the puppy? Jay is Jay, Jay has to, to see, see the puppy. puppy. Oh, yeah, Jay's going to freak oh, out. Jay, this is uh this is uh the new the new puppy. She's getting happy. Arrest by the way, a rescue Jay. A rescue. Oh, that's my oh. She's actually oh. from the <laughs> That might be one of the cutest dogs I've ever seen. It's ridiculous. Oh, where you got it from a rescue? Where did you get it? Yeah, well, I got her up in Park City, but this rescue um goes down to the Navajo reservations. They have so many stray dogs down there, I guess, that are just in real need of homes. So she's uh she's a little New Mexico. Reservation dog. That's awesome. She is so beautiful. Oh, yeah. Get over how cute she is. Oh my god. Okay, before we put out this, um, before we put out <laughs> the episode, you have to send us a photo just so people <laughs> can see. Anyway, thank you so much for for coming yeah, and hanging thank out you. with us. This was great. Uh, thanks, guys. My pleasure. Ooh, we're still on. We're not recording anymore. <laughs> Jay Braun, 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 Braun. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank Stop. you.